What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, February 3rd, 2015. Broadcasting from the brand new studio here at Beantown Athletics in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, more specifically, Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is a major part of Boston. Got a good show for you today, Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. Mike is also host of Monday Night Patriots on Comcast Sportsnet New England from the Hard Rock they broadcast here in Boston. They did their last show last night, yesterday, from Arizona. Um, it's, It's a good day for a parade with the sun out. However, there's a whole lot of snow, and because of that, they have postponed the Patriots Super Bowl parade here in downtown Boston. And it is now tomorrow. It'll be a Wednesday afternoon parade or Wednesday morning, early afternoon. They, they're not going to can- Mayor Marty Walsh is not going to cancel, cancel school. But I think that everybody is pretty much implying that kids are just going to skip school to go to the Patriots parade, right? That's what happens. You skip school, you go to the parade um, and show up and try to, get a, try to get a note. Try to get somebody to write a note. Write a fake note. The next day, so you don't have to you don't have to go to detention or get a jug, if that's what you call it. Um, that's what we called it at BC High, a jug. So, uh, get someone to write you a note. Skip school. Don't tell anyone I told you to do that. But the parade has been postponed. It'll not be today. It'll be tomorrow. Today is when I came in here this morning. It was only seven degrees. Tomorrow is supposed to be somewhere around thirty and thirty-five degrees. Now I'm no weatherman, but I, I'm just reading you what it says. That's what it says. I, I trust that enough where it will be a little bit warmer tomorrow. The snow isn't going to go anywhere. They might try to remove some of it today with the sun out. I guess you hope you chop some of it up. You hope that it melts. But we've just been bombarded here in Boston with a couple major storms the last week. And because of that, they had to postpone it. I don't have a problem with them postponing it. If you wanted to say, let's do it Thursday, I'd say, let's do it Thursday. Now, I get the players got things to do. They want to, you know, they're going to go home, if, you know, if they, if they have somewhere else that they live in the offseason or they're going on vacation with the family. That's fine. I can understand that. Uh, but I would think that if you needed to, you know, go Thursday at the latest, I think you could even still do that. I guess if you're the mayor of Boston, if you're Marty Walsh, you look at it and say, well, if we did wait till Thursday, what would be the difference in the the snow in Boston from Wednesday to Thursday. And you probably say, well, not much different. There's still going to be a whole lot of snow, and we have to do this parade, so let's just do it. They're going to do it tomorrow. Um, I will be here in the studio recording a podcast tomorrow, so I won't be at the parade. But we got some good guests for you the rest of the week. And today, beginning with Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. I'll play that in just a bit. Had him on the Skype hotline earlier this morning. We look back at the Super Bowl. We look back at the play that was Malcolm Butler's uh, amazing interception, which I have given him a whole lot of credit for. As much as I've knocked Pete Carroll for the stupid play call and not running the football, I have given just as much, if not more, credit to Malcolm Butler for making the only play that that the Patriots needed to win that game, which was not a play in which you jump a route with great instincts and bat a ball down. No, that doesn't win you the Super Bowl. In fact, that probably still loses as great as a play as that would be in any other situation if Malcolm Butler stepped up and just knocked the ball down. As great as a play as that would be, it wouldn't. It, it actually would still probably lose you the Super Bowl because you would think that at that point, okay, then it's third down, and the Seahawks realize down four, it's four down territory, obviously, so you got two plays to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. From the one or the half-yard line, that we all seem to think that that would probably be a touchdown, right? So, at this point, and I gave the poll yesterday on the website, dannypicard.com, the votes are in, but I gave you my vote when I asked the question, who is your Super Bowl MVP? They gave it to Tom Brady. He had a phenomenal uh, couple drives his last two drives were great, surgical, especially the last one. Big passes to Edelman, big passes to Gronk. Uh, Brady was phenomenal in those last two drives. But I thought he made some mistakes that if they lose that game, uh, at least me, I'd be criticizing him for. They were bad throws. 
You can't leave points on the board when you get into the red zone in Seattle. And that's what happened early on in this game with that bad interception off his back foot. And then the interception in the third quarter of, you know, opening to the second half when they get the football uh, their first time, you give Seahawks the ball to 50 and the Seahawks come down and score. And right, that take a ten point lead. That I even if Brady has those final two drives and they still lose that game, I, I it would be tough for me to get over those two picks. It would. Um, I w- I gave my MVP to Malcolm Butler because, as I just mentioned, he needed to intercept the football. The Patriots needed a turnover on that play. You know, if the Seahawks are going to throw it, and we can all ad- agree that it's a bad play call. Well, even if you bat that ball down, the Seahawks still have the ball. And they probably still win it. You, ha- you had to literally rip the ball out of their hands. And that is exactly what Malcolm Butler did. <laughs> and to me, he's my MVP because of that. He is. I asked you on my website, who's your Super Bowl MVP? The results? Tom Brady, 43% of the vote. Malcolm Butler, only 18%. Julian Edelman, 39%. I only gave you those three options. And I thought about maybe giving you a Jamie Collins on the defensive end, but even he had his moments, especially late. You know, hey, if I'm going to judge this game and the MVP based on a big late-game performance, not to take anything away from what Jamie Collins, I thought, did early on, which was make some big, big tackles on Marshawn Lynch and doing it the right way, uh, jumping right at his legs and holding on for dear life and not letting go until he's down to the ground. I think that, you know, if but if I'm going to, if, if I'm going to look at the, the, the last drive there and the big plays that were made, that final drive for Seattle got started when Marshawn Lynch lined up on the outside and Jamie Collins bit on a, on a fake slant that he was going to run. You know, a little juke inside. Nope, Marshawn Lynch stays to the outside. Jamie Collins got beat on that. So I thought about, but I still, what do you have, eight tackles, six solo. I thought about throwing him in there. You could have thrown Gronk in there. You know, you could have thrown a guy who had a touchdown. Um, and, and certainly made some big catches in that, those last couple drives. But I only put Brady, Butler, and Edelman. Brady with 43% of the vote, Edelman 39%, Malcolm Butler only 18 I would have given it to Malcolm Butler. I would. I, 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 not only did he make, uh, I mean, he had to make, one, there was one play he had to make, and it's not reading a route and batting a ball down. Because as great as that play would have been, the Patriots probably still would have lost. He needed to intercept it. That was the only way. And he literally, Malcolm Butler, literally ripped the Lombardi Trophy out of the hands of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. So he was my MVP. Poll of the day today on Tuesday, February 3rd, 2015. Poll of the day today. I sit here and I look at the 2016 NFL futures. Future bets, right? And they now have the favorites to win Super Bowl 50, which is like next year, February 7th in San Francisco. And I've mentioned, even I mentioned going back to last week, that I think the Patriots have a shot, right, to get there. They have a pretty good shot. And it's not just based on the fact that, you know, they're a young team and they, I, what, the youngest team to win a Super Bowl. Uh, but... Also, based on the fact that I look around the rest of the AFC, and I don't see anybody that is a clear-cut uh, clear cut favorite to win the AFC over the Patriots next year. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. So I'm looking at these odds to win Super Bowl 50. And by the way, getting away from Roman numerals, they're going to use the numbers 5-0. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. They don't want to use an L? I think there's a way they could fit in an L, just a big L, and make that look cool. No? So they're going to use the numbers 5-0. I don't know how I feel. But regardless of Roman numerals or regular numbers, I still think the Patriots uh, should be the favorites to win Super Bowl 50. The Seattle Seahawks are the favorites instead in Vegas. Six to one odds to win the Super Bowl. Now... I don't agree with that because they have issues. You know, Russell Wilson's going to want a new contract. Marshawn Lynch needs a new contract. If I'm Marshawn Lynch, and I know he said all the right things, if anything at all, after the game in which he said, no, football's a team sport. But can you re- like, what, are you really trusting the things that come out of Marshawn Lynch's mouth? You know, when something actually does come out that I guess you could try to make 
out to be a meaningful statement? No. If I'm Marshawn Lynch, I'm saying, why aren't you giving me the football in that situation? Why aren't you just giving me the football? So, we'll see. I mean, money talks. If the Seahawks say we want to make you the highest paid running back in the game, then I, I, he'll probably be back. But if they don't, and there are teams that are anywhere close to what Seattle's given, I think a factor in that is, well, what's going on in this locker room? What's going on with this coaching staff? Because I got to read a story today in which Pete Carroll now, he has to either confirm or deny reports that the Seahawks' offensive coordinator called a running play on that second down in which Wilson threw it, and that Pete Carroll changed the offensive coordinator's run play to a pass play. Pete Carroll denies that. He says there was not a thought about running it, and then I changed the play. That did not happen. So, but You know what? The fact, though, that there are even whispers of that tell me that something's going on with that coaching staff where they were not all on the same page. And is that a crazy thought to think that we all know, we all believe that was a stupid play to not run it with Marshawn Lynch from the one-yard line, from the half-yard line? So you got to think that there's guys on that coaching staff, if there's players on the team in the locker room after, which we gave you the audio yesterday, right, of Bruce Irvin, the defensive end, the linebacker, whatever he is, coming out and saying, you know, he hadn't even taken his shoulder pads off. He didn't even take his jersey off. He's sitting in his locker. And, he, you know, he's just thinking out loud with a microphone in his face. And he's saying, how do we not run the football in that situation? We get the best back in the league. How do you throw a slant route? How are you doing that? If he's thinking that, if we're thinking that, you mean to tell me there aren't coaches on that Seahawks staff that are thinking that? That aren't thinking that? I mean, they are. There are people on that Seahawks staff wondering why they didn't run the football. So I think with his smoke, there's fire. Carroll can deny it all, the, all he wants. I'm not telling you that the, the actual reports are true, that the offensive coordinator called the run play and Carroll changed it. Carroll denies that. I'm not telling you those reports are true. I am telling you with his smoke, there is fire. And I'm telling you that there are certainly people probably on that Seahawks coaching staff that were in the offensive coordinator's ear or in Pete Carroll's ear during that moment in which uh, they needed to come up with a play call. And there's got to be some people saying, you have to run the football here. Did you not see the run before? You have to run it here. I guarantee you there was that. I guarantee it. So, and I guarantee, ultimately, that Marshawn Lynch is saying to himself, yeah, why aren't you giving me the football? So, with all that, yeah, look, the Seahawks will be motivated to try to get back. But I guess I look at the Seahawks in a situation where they have to, look, they need to be the, the number one seed in the NFC. I'd be curious to see, you know, if if they would have to, if Seattle has to go, would have to go through Green Bay, right? I'd be curious to see how that would play out. If Seattle had to go through Dallas, right? If, they, if, if the road to the Super Bowl in the NFC didn't go through Seattle, and it almost didn't this year. I mean, if Carson Palmer stays healthy, Arizona Cardinals are probably the one seed going into the playoffs. Now, I'm not, I don't know what would have happened in that game if the Seahawks go there. But things would have been different. At least, it wouldn't have been teams going into Seattle. Um, so, the Seahawks right now are 6-1 to one favorites to win the Super Bowl. I don't agree with that. I think it should be the Patriots. Now, the Patriots are close. 7-1 to one odds. Packers, 7.5-1. Uh, to one. Then you got Broncos, 10-1. to one. Colts, 12-1. to one. Cowboys, 15-1. to one so on and so forth. I, I give you those six teams in the poll. I'm going to say Patriots. And you could say, well, you're for New England, you're being a homer. Well, I, I, I don't think so. I think I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the AFC. More importantly, I'm looking at the Patriots division. Patriots not going to win the division next year? You tell me they're not going to win the AFC East? Think about it like that. Break it down like that. Yes, they're going to win the AFC East next year. And when they win the AFC East, look, we're still waiting on Peyton Manning, but I expect them to come back unless there's any sort of late breaking news after we record this podcast, which you know what? There very well could be one of these days. There's going to be, we're going to be doing a podcast during the morning later that day. There's going to be news on Peyton Manning. So one of these days, you know, there's going to be news. I haven't heard anything yet. I think he said he's getting close. I'd be shocked if Peyton Manning did not come back. I would be absolutely shocked if Peyton Manning 
did not come back. I would. I'd be shocked. Absolutely shocked because he, he obviously played with a serious injury, right? He played with a very serious injury. And if you're Peyton Manning, you know you went to the Super Bowl last year and you're saying to yourself, man, if we could take this team and if I could be healthy, let's take another shot with it. And if Peyton Manning takes another shot, he's healthy, they can't do it, and he doesn't feel right, then I think he, he can live with himself and say, you know, I, that's it. You know, Father Time is catching up. But I don't think he wants to leave a season with a serious injury like that where they looked so good in the first, right, to the first half of the season. And I don't think he wants to leave the game saying, ah, you know what, if I wasn't hurt, this is what could have happened. I don't think he wants to live with that the rest of his life. And I don't think he will. I, I think he'll try to come back, and I think he'll play with Denver. But even if he does, am I going to say that Denver could come into Gillette in the AFC Championship and win? I, I mean, we obviously have to see the season play out. Um, we'd have to see who's healthy and who's not on the Patriots by that point. But if you ask me what the AFC title game is going to be next year, I'm going to tell you the Patriots and the Broncos. That's what I think it's going to be. Now the Colts are here at 12 to 1. I You know what? I just they need a defense. They got defensive issues. And and you know what their biggest issue is? You know what the Colts biggest issue is? And it brings me to another story that I have to read today. The biggest issue the Colts have is accountability. They seem to have an accountability issue that is so fucking mind-boggling. It's not even it's it's not even it, it's not even human. These aren't even human reactions to what just happened in the AFC Championship. It's crazy. You're the Indianapolis Colts. You're the GM of the Indianapolis Colts, right? You just got your asses kicked. You got your asses handed to you. You got players on your team that are coming out to the media saying, let's be serious, folks. We could have... The Patriots would have beat our ass uh, with a, what do he say, with a bar of soap? Is that what he said? They could, yes, he's right. If they used a bar of soap, they could have won that game. Brady could have thrown 50 passes with a bar of soap, and Nate Solder would still be wide open. Now we find out that, hey, you know, maybe that play shouldn't have counted. But is that on the Patriots, or is that in the officials? Right? Look, if you do something or line up incorrectly during a game, throw a flag. It's a penalty. A 10, 15-yard penalty, right? That's it. Do, do the down over. That's, I mean, that's just the way it is. The ref's going to call it. Guy jumps off sides. Ref doesn't call it. The play goes on. And nothing happens. You're going to blame the team the next day? Or are you going to blame the refs for not calling it? So, look, the Colts, there's an accountability issue here, and it starts from the GM, because I got to read a story today in which, all right, people wondering, are we done with the Flakegate? The answer is no, because tonight, on Tuesday night, on Showtime, there's an interview that's on a show called 60 Minutes Sports, and the interview is with NFL Football Operations Chief Troy Vincent. And during this interview, he confirms that Indianapolis Colts general manager Ryan Gregson helped kick off Deflategate by contacting league officials about the New England Patriots using underinflated balls in the AFC Championship game. That is the GM of the Colts, a Colts team that just got their asses kicked. His priority after that is to not look at himself in the mirror Not look at his defense and say, wow, we got a lot of things that we need to fix, and it starts with me as the GM of this team this offseason, and the offseason starts now because our season is over. He doesn't do that. He takes a football that he thinks is underinflated, and he contacts the league about it, as if that's going to make the difference between winning and losing. And not to sound like Al Pacino there in the Any Given Sunday speech. That's going to make the difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. That's six inches in front of your face. Great speech. I listened to that. Pete, you were with me. My producer, Pete Needham, sitting there laughing because he knows he, that, that 
the day before this game, I was playing that. I had that that thing going nonstop. I couldn't stop playing. Great speech. Great speech. You know, steaming Willie Beeman. All of a sudden, he sees the light. He says, I can't be selfish anymore. In fact, I'm going to stop throwing up in the huddle. I need to stop winning. Great speech. Sorry. Um, but that football that the Colts GM, you know, he tips the league off. That's, that's his priority as a GM. Are you kidding me? Where's the accountability here? The Colts have a lot of things to fix. And one of them should not be the PSI levels on an opposing, in an opposing team's football, right? It shouldn't be. And if I'm a player on that team, and I hear that my GM now is the guy that started this, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not too happy about it. Because as we played the Trent Dilfer audio for you yesterday on yesterday's podcast, and if you didn't hear it, you got to listen to it. I believe we started it about 30 minutes in um, to the podcast. Trent Dilfer, former player, it just, he, did, he said some things that I've been begging for someone to say, which is call out other players that are on the same set as him, same type of analyst set, and he says, you guys know that teams are stretching the rules, that are doing things. You guys know other teams do stuff. You guys all know that other teams do stuff to the footballs. You know, so if I'm a player in the Colts' room, that especially if I played for another team, you see this stuff happen. You say, this is not the reason we lost the game. But our GM thinks it is? I mean, there are things that the Colts need to fix. And once again, the PSI levels on an opposing team's football are uh, not one of them. They need to do something about that defense, and they need to do something about it now. And I don't know what they can do that would make them favorites to come out of the AFC. But they're 12-1 to odds to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, they're, what, Seahawks? So it's Seahawks, Patriots, Packers, Broncos, Colts, Cowboys. You know, the, Cowboy, the Packers are sneaky in there because if Aaron Rodgers is healthy— if, look, if the Packers got off to a better start to the season where you didn't have to have the Aaron Rodgers relax, if the road to the Super Bowl went through Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers is healthy, that's a scary team. Now, their defense isn't as good as Seattle's, so ultimately I probably would have picked the Patriots to beat Green Bay because I wasn't scared of their defense, but Aaron Rodgers had a scary season if you're an opposing team, especially if you had to go into Green Bay and try to defend him. He was, he was unbelievable. I mean, this guy didn't even, didn't throw picks when he played in his own building. Didn't just, didn't, it just wasn't even a, oh, Aaron Rodgers turnover in his own building. It's not going to happen. How else are you going to beat him? Well, what's that? He's going to put 50 points up every game in his own building. Huh? Well, that's going to be tough to deal with. So the Packers will be back next year. If Aaron Rodgers is healthy. Yeah. They're right there in the conversation. So. But if I had to give you, if I had to give you a team that I think will be in Super Bowl Fifty or a favorite to win out of all these teams I just listed, right now in Vegas, I'm I'm being honest with you. I think the Patriots, if they bring Rivas back, which I think they they obviously should, and I talked about this with Mike Giotti, and I'll play that clip for you in just a second. Um, I think the Patriots, we could be talking about them back in San Francisco next year, and next year at this time. We could be talking about another parade. I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be, I am being realistic, I think. I don't think that's an unrealistic thing to say. That the Patriots will be motivated to win five. Brady Belichick will be motivated to win five. Right? Put a ring on that thumb. And, and then for the people that, uh, that really can't still put Brady in a conversation with Montana, maybe you'll be able to do it then. Maybe you'll be able to do it then. Uh, so that's the poll today. Go to dannypicard.com. Again, the Patriots parade moved to tomorrow, moved to Wednesday because of the snow. Uh, yesterday, we after, the, after we recorded the podcast, we watched a lot of videos of the Patriots parties. Uh, great stuff. We got uh, audio of Gronk on Jimmy Kimmel, which we'll play for you after the Mike Giotti segment. Edelman and Malcolm Butler were in Disney. Um, so... We got some audio we'll play in just a bit, but as I mentioned, Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet joined me earlier this morning on the Skype hotline. We talked everything from Super Bowl uh, to to certain players and the stories and the seasons that they've had. 
uh, to even the offseason and even looking into next year a little bit. So it's a great conversation. Uh, make sure you stay with this show immediately after that because we got some final thoughts. And again, as I said, some hilarious audio from Rob Gronkowski, uh, who was on Jimmy. He was with Jimmy Kimmel last night, and and the funniest part of the audio has to do with the little fight that broke out at the end of the Super Bowl, at the end of the Patriots' unbelievable win that was still was still trying to get our emotions in check about here in New England because. It just ended in such a crazy fashion, and the emotional roller coaster that at least I was on, as Curse comes down with that football, and then Marshawn Lynch runs it to the half yard line, you're just beside yourself. And all you can think of at that point in time when Curse comes down with that ball, all you all you're thinking of is the, is the David Tyree catch. That's all you're thinking of. And Mike Giotti actually told a great story uh, early on in this segment about someone else who was thinking of that. David Tyree Ketch, a former Patriot who was thinking of that. David Tyree Ketch. So here's that segment. Uh, and make sure you stick around. We get some final thoughts right after this. All right, joining me now on the Skype hotline is Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. Covers the Patriots for Comcast Sportsnet. And he was in Arizona for the Patriots Super Bowl 49 win. And again, he joins me right now on the Skype hotline. Mike, what's going on? How you doing today? World champion sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It does, it does. Hey, we, we got to get you in the studio. Uh, I'm sure we'll do that. You were in Arizona. We had a lot of snow back here, as I'm sure you're seeing now uh, with the return. We actually, now the parade has been postponed. You okay with the postponement uh, of this parade today until tomorrow? I think it makes sense. It's supposed to be a little bit warmer, right? So, I mean, that's, that's one thing. It gives me a little extra time to take care of the roads, um, not just for the parade and the sidewalks, but for all the people that are clearly uh, – struggling with this i couldn't get over how high the snow is when i got back let me tell you yeah absolutely uh insane all right and what it also is insane is the way this super bowl 49 finished with the malcolm butler interception but mike uh before then let me tell you what was going through my mind as jermaine curse comes down with that football all i'm thinking is david tyree that that's all i'm thinking about and i'm actually i was actually in a position where i said you know, you got to let Marshawn Lynch score here because I'm saying the Patriots, you know, there's a minute left. Pats have two timeouts. All I'm thinking is give Brady the football back with enough time to maybe, you know, come from behind after they the Seahawks eventually, eventually score, which just seemed to be obvious that they were going to give the ball to Lynch. We'll get to that play in just a few minutes. But, Mike, how did what was going through your mind <laughs> as Jermaine Curse pulls down that ball uh, to to what I thought, give the Seahawks the ultimate win. Well, it's crazy how things work in the media, right? So, like, with about seven minutes left in the game, the NFL reps come by to the press box, and they're like, look, we're starting to take people downstairs. If you want to get on the field, you got to want to start working your way down there. Now, quick, we're in the middle of this hard part game. And you're like, I can't leave my seat. So I'm hanging on my seat, hanging on my seat. Finally, my boss called me. He's like, you really ain't done it. So I ran down while that drive started. And when the catch was being made, all I heard was I was under, like, the – in some tunnel by the stadium, all I heard was reaction. And you know, it was like a quick reaction, like incredible groans and then like cheers. And I'm like, what the, something, something bad just happened. That didn't sound like a good thing for the Patriots. And sure enough, I come around the corner to see the replay of the catch and just stunned like everybody else thinking it's David Tyree. And I happen to be with Dan Copeland, of course, he's on the, he won two Super Bowl titles. He's on the 2007, 2008 Patriots. All sort of being perfect in that Super Bowl in Glendale. Uh, and if you had seen the look on Copeland's face, I mean, he literally turned white. And he said, I, I hate this place. And he used stronger words than that. And I don't ever want to come back. There's a curse. There's got to be a curse. So, and no, no pun intended, by the way. <laughs> and, and then just literally shaking our heads like, I can't believe they're going to lose on another unbelievable catch. And I mean, Manningham's catch in the 2011 Super Bowl wasn't on the same level, but it was still a pretty damn good catch. And now you're saying three Super Bowls in a row where just somebody pulls one out of their behind and makes an unbelievable play. And that's what it was. I mean, great coverage by Butler. First makes a great play. But then for two plays later, for Butler to stand and deliver like that, um, just the, the range of emotions was just astounding. I think you felt that when you went on the field afterwards and I was gathering guys and talking to guys in the field and it was just like, 
I mean, like, I'm not a part of the team. And sometimes, you know, how the media gets paid. You know, they don't necessarily love it because you got to ask questions that they don't want you to ask. I was getting pats on the back from guys out there. I mean, they were just, like, static. And some of them were just flat. I can't, can't believe what they just saw and how it all went down. What do you think going through Tom Brady's head as Kurtz is pulling that ball in? Because, look, if we're thinking about that uh, Tyree catch, you know, you even got a guy like Copen uh, who played at that point in time who's still thinking about it. How about a guy who was, you know, who's on that team who, who's playing in this actual game? I mean, I can only imagine what was going through Brady's head. You'd think he's got to be thinking of that at the same time as well, right? Well, I'm without question. I mean, as you remember, in, in 2007, he let him down the field, and you're thinking, like, it's over. They scored. Like, well, what was that? Like, two minutes left. I can't even remember. It's been so long. And probably thinking the same thing that, that Colton was thinking and the same thing that everybody who's a Pats fan and, and bleeds the colors was thinking. Like, really? In this building? Again? Just unfathomable that that could happen to a team. Inexplicable that it could happen mm. to a team again in almost the same fashion. And then... You know, just two plays later, the decision to throw the ball instead of run it um, and Butler to uh, have learned from his mistakes in practice. As Garoppolo told me after the game, a couple other guys, he outbeat him in practice on it, and he was told basically, don't let that happen if it happens in the game. You cannot let him beat you to that spot. And he did a phenomenal job. He sniffed it out. They knew the play, and he just, uh, it's just great reaction, great catch, just phenomenal, phenomenal for him and phenomenal for, for the Patriots everywhere. Speaking with Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England, joins me on the Sky Putt line. Mike, we'll get to that play in a second, but when Curse pulls down that ball, you said you're standing next to Copen, um, and he said, I got to get out of this place. This, you know, this place is, you know, there's a curse here. And as you mentioned, no pun intended, but take me back to your mindset, maybe even his mindset. I mean, were you guys standing there saying to yourselves, the game's over? Is that and and did you agree? Do you were you thinking what I was thinking at the time, which was let Marshawn Lynch score? I mean, was that a thought that crossed your mind? What was your thought on the result of this game as Curse pulls that ball in? My thought was that as deflating as that was, and again, no pun intended. <laughs> um, too many words we can't use here. Um, that you built this defense for moments like this, and your defense had. In, in various spots over the course of the year, especially in the second half, in fourth quarters, been as good as anybody. And that, yeah, they're on the five, and they got Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson, and they get you through the, what appears to be a back-breaking play, but they're pros. Their guys got to get, you know, they've been tough all year long. And I was thinking to myself, not let them score. I was just thinking, these guys got to come up with a play. They got to make a play. Um, I didn't expect to be Malcolm Butler, and I see. I'm not sure I even expected him to make one period, mm. but that's what you that's what you did for your defense. That was what this defense was all about. That was what the offseason was all about. And um, like I said, wasn't the guy that you paid all the money for in offseason, but um, there were guys that were a big part of that that were a part of that play as well. Brandon Brown blowing up purse on the release, really preventing potential for a pick. Um, and obviously, Revis was standing all game long, so they sure as hell weren't going to throw that way. So, uh, yeah, they had to make a play, and um, they did. And look, Pete Carroll, the decision to throw the football on second down after Marshawn Lynch, you know, his first run of first down took it down to the half-yard line. I'm thinking, wow, they didn't let him score, and now the game's over. Uh, and, and, but I did say this, unless somebody somebody needs to make a play, but the play that needed to be made for the Patriots, when, when you accept the fact that, now that you, you know, and, I, and I, I'll get your take on that in a second, too, do you, if you agree or disagree with the play call to be a throw, but I think you'll agree with me that that was a dumb play call to throw the football in that situation. If we can accept that was a dumb play call, you know, even after that, you then got to look at what, what Malcolm Butler did and say, well, he did the only thing that the Patriots needed him to do was come up with an interception with a turnover. Because let's say Malcolm Butler, Mike, let's say Malcolm Butler jumps that route, he makes a great play, bats the ball down. Yeah, that's a great play in any situa- any other situation in any other game. But in this situation, in this game, if Malcolm Butler bats that ball down, I still think the Seahawks win because they eventually will run it on either third or fourth down and Marshawn Lynch will get in. So he needed yeah, to... Yeah, well, you, you still have the timeout, um, which is why, in part, the call was baffling to me as well. Um, but you're right. It, it, 
if you get the opportunity to make the play, you have to make the play because if you don't, even if you make a good play to knock the ball down, they still have two more cracks to get it, and you figure wisdom is going to say, man, we just got the bullet there. He almost picked that thing off. Let's do what we do. Let's do what we did to get here, and that is ride Marshawn Lynch for a power running football team, a read option running football team. Let's do that, or let's we have one down to at least get Wilson outside the pocket and give him the run pass option where it's, uh, it's not there to run, and you don't have a clear window to throw the ball. Just tuck it out of bounds, and we still have another play. But instead, running the slant and you know, film study, the whole year long, you know, Rebus preaches this thing, and probably more than anyone I've ever been around. And, and we've seen him do it uh, where he's run the route before the route gets run. And that sort of leadership and knowledge, I think, rubbed off on other guys because, like I said, they saw that formation, and they were pretty damn sure what the play was, and they, they were right. And not guessing right, they were right. They saw it, they practiced against it, they got beat against it in practice, uh, in the week leading up to the Super Bowl, and then when it was presented itself, um, they didn't get beat again. So Malcolm Butler, he got beat at practice, and then Bel- Belichick called him out, and 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 Butler learned his lesson, right? Bel- Belichick called him out, and teammates called him out. You know, it's uh, it's, it's been a it's been a, a great year for for Butler, considering where he came from. But it's been a hard year in the sense that he's had a lot to learn because of where he came from, and um, you know, guys reinforcing that. And, and reinforcing positively, like, you have the ability to make that play. And that's, I think that's the thing that you look at, too. In that moment, maybe somebody shies away. You don't want to get flagged. Maybe you're, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, maybe you just uh, hesitant just a second, a split second. Like, I don't want to get hit by a double move here. Nope. You saw it, was drilled on it, and made sure that, you know, I mean, if you look at the play, there is a window there when Wilson gets to release the ball. But, but, but Butler is already making his move towards the, of course, the spot where the football is going and just a great instinctive play, but a great play based on study. Yeah, unbelievable play. And again, the play that needed to be made was a turnover. You know, you bat that ball down, the game, yep. I think the game's over because Seattle will still win because they have third and fourth down to figure out, hey, uh, let's play this thing uh, a little bit better and actually give it to the guy in Marshawn Lynch that we should have given it to on second down, but he intercepts the pass. Phenomenal play and really ripped the Lombardi Trophy, uh, literally ripped the Lombardi Trophy out of the hands of Pete Carroll and uh, Russell Wilson in this game. Speaking with Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. Mike, because of that, I give my MVP to Malcolm Butler. Yeah, Brady, he had two great drives, before touchdown drives before that play uh, to give this team a lead after they trailed by 10. But look, if they lo- Patriots lose that game, we're talking about Brady's two interceptions. You know how they left points on the field on that first interception, which was a terrible throw off the back foot at the Seahawks, what, 10-yard line? I mean, that just can't happen early in that game. And then the second interception from Brady, it led to a yeah, Seahawks had the ball at the 50. They came down and scored and took a 10-point lead. Yeah, he threw four touchdowns, but I think if the Patriots lose, we're talking about the mistakes Brady made. Brady gets the MVP. To me, Malcolm Butler is my MVP. They don't win this game without him. They don't. They win. They don't win this game without the play that we just talked about. Who's your MVP if you had to give it to someone for this one? I, I would have given it to Edelman because, for as great as Brady was in the fourth quarter, I thought Edelman was great all game and ends up with the game-winning touchdown pass. And I think embodied their spirit. Uh, the play that you know when he gets basically. The helmet, well, not basically, the helmet on helmet, just absolute clubbing from Sam Chancellor, a play that should have been flagged, didn't get flagged. And not only does he touch the ball, um, but somehow has the wherewithal, even though I'm not sure he knew where he was, to keep running mm-hmm. and get an extra whatever it was, seven, eight yards. And, you know, there's a lot of talk. Did he get hit? You know, with the, was there a concussion in the protocol? Uh, did they follow it properly? There were some independent advisors apparently calling the Patriots sideline saying he needs to be checked out. Um, but he stayed in the game, and when I when he first came back in the game, I'm like, he's he's wobbled. He doesn't look good at all. And yet there it is, on the last two drives, you know, he runs the same route on Simon both times. First one, he's got him beat badly, and Brady throws a 110 mile an hour fastball high and away, and he can't reel in. And then on the game winning drive, you know, same move, undresses Simon even more, and makes the catch for a touchdown. Just um, to me. 
he was a phenomenal player, phenomenal story, and that toughness is kind of what this team was all about all year long, mentally and physically. I mean, he just he played through stuff, and, and he played big in the biggest moments. And you mentioned great story. You know, some people are going to talk about Malcolm Butler's story, undrafted free agent, signed with the Patriots, uh, undrafted rookie this year, and he makes that play in the Super Bowl, as I mentioned, to rip the Lombardi trophy out of Pete Carroll's hands. But, you know, on the field, Patriots football story, Julian Edelman, not just the guy that, you know, I had to hear people talk about, uh, maybe put him on the, the roster bubble going into last season um, two years ago. And I'm wondering, how are you going to put this kid on the bubble, right? I mean, they went out, they signed Amendola. People thought Amendola was going to be the guy to replace Welka. It's it's been it's been Edelman, a thousand yards last year, close to a thousand yards this season, and the game that he had in this Super Bowl. Um, also, you got to take into account, Mike. This was a guy playing defense for this Patriots team a couple of years ago. I mean, he was a defensive back. He went from quarterback in college to receiver to defensive back to receiver, and you, really your Super Bowl MVP. And while I'm giving it to Malcolm Butler, Edelman's certainly in the conversation. But his story might be it's. Got to be the best. Is it the best on the team? You think? It's got to be. I mean, or it's 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 definitely in the conversation. I mean, like you said, the last time they went to the Super Bowl, he's covering Anquan Bolden in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game. You know, so a to to be that, and then to be a hundred catch guy and a thousand yard guy, essentially two years in a row, is pretty amazing. Um, When you consider where he came from, it's pretty amazing. And when you consider two years ago. They were willing to let him walk, and nobody wanted him. He had one visit in free agency. That was to the Giants, and the Giants didn't really put anything out there. So he came back for a one-year minimum, and, you know, Amendola catches whatever it was, 10 passes in that first game against Buffalo, but gets, uh, gets really hurt. I mean, he was hurt going into it, but then he, I guess he ripped the, the second uh, muscle there in that game, and Adelman steps in, and he hasn't looked back since, and you – you admire all the qualities about him. And one of the things I, I respect about him, too, is that he sort of adopted Brady's fighting spirit. Brady was a sixth-round guy. Edelman was a seventh-round guy. Um, Brady felt like no one believed in him. Edelman, obviously, a seventh-round guy, and we're switching positions for you, and we're trying to make you into something. And we're not even talking about he's, if not the best cover turner in football, he's, he's in those two, top three, top four. I mean, every time he touches the ball as a cover turner, he's a threat to take it to the house. And this guy just works his ass off constantly, builds up his body to take these vicious shots, just like Walker did, um, and has developed such a trust and friendship with Brady that, um, you know, they're almost bonded, those two guys, in, in a lot of ways based on how they came into the league and how they approached each and every day and how they approached the offseason. Um, so it, it is a fantastic a fantastic story, and, I, and I'm – I'm happy for him because I know of the amount of work that he put in there, and I know that the quarterback is happy for him because after getting burned by the Welker thing and Wes leaving because of however that went down, however you want to play the, the Welker departure, um, he went to that office last year in the offseason after his 100th season and said, please don't let that happen again. This guy is critical to what we do for, for many reasons, and there was a lot of pull, not just from Brady, but from other members of that coaching staff in front of office to keep that guy in the building. And, you know, he was a lot more in demand last offseason than he was the year before. Had a handful of teams coming after him hard, including Cleveland, San Francisco, his hometown team. And um, bringing him back was one of those things that, I guess, in some ways flew under the radar just because of Revis and Browner and, and what they did defensively. But he was as big a signing as anybody in the offseason. Yeah, and it, so it shows you just, you know, even how far this team's come defensively. Uh, Revis Brown, a huge difference makers for this Patriots team this year. And, you know, we get to the Revis issue. And if you're going to tell me Revis, you know, will be back next year, then Mike, I'm going to tell you that this Patriots team has a shot to be, to be playing next year at this time, uh, in San Francisco for Super Bowl 50. I mean, I'm not crazy to think that the Patriots can get back next year and have another shot at it, and Belichick, Brady have a shot to get their fifth ring, right? I'm not nuts thinking that. No, you're not not nuts at all. I mean, youngest team to win a Super Bowl, average age, 25.2 years of age for that roster. I think that you're fortunate this year. I know there's some injuries earlier. You talk about not having a guy like Mayo, not having Ridley, um, but you're able to fill in the blanks. 
at running back because, well, the way the Patriots operate with that position, you can do that. And man, it was a bigger loss to overcome, but Hightower and, and Collins developed and came so far this year um, that it helped to really map that loss as well. So really, when you look at it, you're saying to yourself, if you can maintain the health and your quarterback can maintain that level of play that is, you know, he's still in that, that, that top tier, um, even though there were obviously moments, especially early in the year, but even during the latter part of the year when you were still having success where you're looking, you know, it's just not the way we're used to seeing it, but still at 37 to be able to dial it up and go 13 or 15 in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl is pretty damn amazing. So if he can continue to stay on that, that high, high level of play, um, with what you built around him and with a, a defense that should only get better when you talk about high power and Collins and the fact that Chandler Jones is hurt and, and, and played through it the latter part of the season. So you expect him to be healthy and better the next year. Um, you know, you got to bring back McCourty. I think McCourty is a critical aspect of this thing. Um, and it's pretty much why I expect him to get franchised just based on the, on the crazy numbers that safety's been getting recently. And then the, maybe the hope is that the market will come down next year and you can work out something long term. But all the pieces really are in place to, uh, when you look at the rest of the AFC, you say they're already the favorite again. And there's no reason as the favorite is what they have coming back that they don't have the potential to get better and, you know, be in San Francisco, as you said, and maybe start a little, another dynasty on the back end of this front end of the Super Bowl success. Yeah, but they got to bring Rivas back, though. I mean, for me to even really be serious yeah. about that conversation, and we know that, what, they have a Patriots have a $20 million option on him. I heard a interview with Rivas on the NFL Network last week where he said he's asked about that option specifically, and he says, you know what, this is a business. And, you know, it's, it scares me a little bit because, look, we saw what the Patriots did last year. They didn't bring back Tlaib, but they went out and said, hey, we're going to bring in Darrell Rivas. There's nobody that you can bring in that's going to talk to Rel Rivas. So I would love to, I, you, I almost, you, not almost, I do think you need to bring Rivas back. The question is, will the Patriots bring him back? And maybe the even more imp- important question is, is Rivas, what is Rivas going to want and what will he be willing to come back to? What do you think happens with this Rivas situation? Do you think he's back hey. next year? Yeah, I mean, it's intriguing because, look, they do it. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about, like, he's a free agent. Uh, as you mentioned, they have the option. They could pick it up. And based on the way they've worked their cap, I mean, they could eat a $25 million cap if they wanted to. They could do that. Now, they don't want to. Um, they definitely want to work out something long-term. And you, you got to keep in mind here, Rebus has told people close to him, he, he's not one of those guys who wants to play, though, he's 36, 37 years old. He, he, he's thinking three or four more years. So, He's been on himself before and taken one-year deals before. Um, and basically when he signed this contract, I think he took it as, yeah, that second year, it's there. But I'm looking at this as another one-year kind of contract. and doesn't work out between us. We like each other. Um, those sorts of things. So to me, it's incumbent upon the Patriots to be a lot smarter than they, they've done with some of their other players in the past. They've, they've messed with Will Fork. They made him wait to get his money. Mankin's obviously held out. And it should just seem like go back and back and Asante Samuel, um, you know, obviously Asante not on the same level as Revis, but the whole concept, the whole point here with him is to make the offer out of issue a real offer. Don't give that stupid Red Sox 470 when the market is 140. Don't, you don't do that. You look at Peterson's number, you look at Sherman's number, and you offer him something close to that, something comparable in terms of average annual value in terms of guaranteed money. Um, and like I said, I don't think you need to make it a, a five- or six-year deal because I don't think that's really what he's looking for. I mean, maybe you do that for bookkeeping purposes, but but that's, to me, the key. Don't insult the guy because he is about business, and we all know with these guys, money equals respect. So show him respect right out of the shoot. They've said the right things publicly. Now do the right thing in private when you're sitting at the table after that conversation. All right, finally, Mike, um, look, I, I have been over Deflategate for a long time, ever since we first heard about it the night of the AFC Championship game. Um, but I'm reading a story today. You know, I guess there's a show tonight, 60 Minutes Sports on Showtime, that will have NFL football operations chief Troy Vincent uh, confirming that Indianapolis Colts general manager actually helped uh, tip off 
Deflategate to the league and saying that they will use Patriots were using underinflated balls in an AFC Championship game. This is such a bullshit story. It's not even funny. Uh, I've believed it was bullshit since day one. You know, this has been a crazy two weeks with this stuff. It, we, the Belichick press conference on top of that. You got and look, Mike. I felt bad for you guys that are down there working hard every day that have to show up to that Brady conference and have people asking if Brady should be apologizing to the fans. It's insa- it is insanity what has gone on with this deflate gate. It's air pressure in football. Uh, I, I just it, none of it makes sense to me. I think every team's doing something to get an edge, and I don't even think the league ever tested for PSIs in a football before any game. And that's really why the league finds themselves with no answers because it's really on themselves because this has always been a non-issue when every team's doing this to their football. So, in my opinion. Look, I'm done with the Flategate. It's meaningless. Nothing is tainted. No legacies are tainted here. Uh, but you get a lot of these guys, national uh, critics, and people who have played the game, and they have an agenda. And I think as stuff maybe comes out, I don't know what else could come out, but if stuff does come out, even if it's uh, just the stuff that doesn't make sense, again, we've fo- we following locker room attendants into the bathroom and we're timing them to <laughs> see what they were doing in there. It's a joke. Right. It's a joke, Mike. I'm over it. I'll ask you, are you over it, and do you think that we will be able to move on, or will other stuff come out? Uh, yeah, I don't know if other stuff will come out, but all I look at this is, I, and I've been, I've been pounding this since the, really pretty much the get-go, they butchered this whole thing. They've embarrassed themselves. They cost themselves 10 days of run-up to the Super Bowl in terms of not talking about the game. We're talking about something that nobody had any answers for. Goodell has his press conference on the Friday before the Super Bowl and when asked by Mike Reese about TSIs and footballs and if they've ever been tested before at halftime, I don't even know, he says. I mean, and then we learn that they didn't even record or they don't and didn't record the numbers pregame, which goes back to my theory all along. These guys don't check it with a pressure gauge. That may be the rule, but they don't do it. They feel the football. The feel, football it feels like any other football. Check it off. Put it in the back. They don't care. They've never cared about this rule. It's the reason why the league allowed when Brady and Manning pushed in 2006 to get more time with the footballs that they would use during the game. The league wanted it. Why does the league want it? Because the league wants people to throw for 300 yards. They want 35 to 40 points a game for each team. They want fantasy football numbers. It's helping to drive this league and drive revenue for this league. They want that. They don't want 10 to 7. They don't care about 10 to 7. They want what you saw on Sunday, 28-24. They want more than that. They want 38-34. They want 42-38. That's what they want. They never cared about it. So people in the league office who hate Belichick, and look, I'm not saying Belichick is blameless in this because he's made a lot of enemies over the course of time with the way he treats people uh, and speaks down to people at times in higher positions. But to me, it reeks of any chance they get, any opportunity they get to get him, they're going to go get him, and they're going to go try to get him. The leaks were embarrassing for the league. Um, they haven't done anything right all year long, as far as I'm concerned. Go back to all the stuff with Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and Hardy. Um, just been a debacle. Goodell probably shouldn't have a job anymore, and maybe he won't because clearly he's lost Robert Kraft who wouldn't even look at him on the podium. Mm. Um, so to me, this was all about nothing. Somebody had a vendetta. They came after it. Um, were the footballs less? Yeah, probably they were. But were they less to begin with? They were probably less or right at the mark. And then you have the cold. I just, again, it's something that nobody cared about. And then Ryan Grigson, um, you want to talk about a guy who is, he's probably lower than Eric Mangini is right now on the uh, totem pole of, People that Bill Belichick had a uh, has a vendetta against and had a, has a hatred for. Us. When that game they play in Indiana next year in Indianapolis, uh, take the over, take the team total for the Patriots, and maybe now we know why they were throwing deep balls in the fourth quarter of that AFC Championship game because I'm sure word had filtered around that they were touching your footballs and we messed with your footballs and Grigson's trying to accuse you guys of cheating. So I got a feeling that uh, we we got a whole new uh, era of of hatred between teams and it's back to the Patriots and Colts like it was when, when Manning and Dungey were there. Yeah, and right now, or at least until Indy gets a defense, uh, <laughs> right. that, the, the result of that game is going to be Patriots over the Colts, and I'd take the Patriots over the Colts any day of the week next year, even if they did end up playing twice in the regular season and in the postseason. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll see. 
uh, what happens with Patriots moving forward. But, Mike, I, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that maybe we're doing this show next year around this time in San Francisco. So, um, I'm with you. Yeah. Tell, with you. tell Dan Copen it's okay. He can go back to Arizona. <laughs> It's fine, right? It's okay. Uh, but I was right there with him and, and with a lot, a lot of people, everybody here in New England. Hey, Danny, he was, after the game, was ecstatic. And, um, you know, now having been removed from the team for several years, now being on our side of the business, um, it, it was as if some demons were exercised in that place. It'll never get back 19-0, and 0, but there was, a, there was definitely, between him and, and Fourier and Matt Chatham, guys that have been on the team, guys that have won ranks, you could see, the happiness in their face, and you know, for someone like Dan who was part of that 07 08 thing, um, it meant a lot. You know, it'll, like I said, it'll never get back 19 and 0. There's no fixing that, but yeah, he can go back to Phoenix now and he can look at that stadium and maybe feel a little bit differently about it than he did before. All right, so uh, enjoy the parade, Mike. And as I said, maybe this will be the first of two straight parades for the Patriots. Uh, he is Mike, <laughs> do it. he's Mike Giotti, Comcast Sports Debt. Mike, thanks a lot, great job as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dan. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. On this team, we fight for that itch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that itch. We claw with our fingernails for that itch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. in front of your face oh man you tell me and you know what's great about that from any given sunday al pacino speech is the music in the background you know we should just play that music that instrumental for every single opening segment that we do i'd just be i'd be standing up every show like i am right now wow and you know what fighting for that inch malcolm butler fought for that inch and you heard the story that mike giotti just told about the Patriots, how they practiced that. Malcolm Butler got beat, you know? He got beat with that play as Jimmy Garoppolo. He's playing the role of Russell Wilson in that specific play. Malcolm Butler got beat, and Belichick says, you can't do that. And I'm sure, you know, he threw some words in there that were uh, uh, a little bit worse than you can't do that. I mean, he probably got called out big time. But Malcolm Butler fought for that inch in the Super Bowl, and he made him pay, and he didn't just make him pay. He made the only play. The Patriots had to make, which was an interception. They needed a turnover. Not just a batted ball, a turnover. And he made the turnover. He ripped the Lombardi Trophy out of the hands of the Seahawks, and he basically put it on a duck boat. Malcolm Butler should be holding the Lombardi Trophy when the parade begins and goes through Boston tomorrow afternoon. Um, Wow. It's just, it was an amazing game. It's an amazing finish. We're still trying to... To get our emotions in check here, obviously, as you can tell. Uh, but yesterday, Edelman and Butler were in Disney. Now, we're not going to play the audio because I don't want to sit here and make calling out Malcolm Butler because I, I'm just never going to do that. I'm, Malcolm Butler could turn out to be the worst player in the history of the NFL, and I'm not going to knock him ever. That's it. I'm just not going to do it. But he, did, he said something a little crazy yesterday. They asked him uh, in Disney, sitting next to Edelman, you know what he was thinking when he caught the ball. He said, "I just need to get. I just needed to get out of the end zone so it wouldn't be a safety." Ah, <laughs> uh, that's that's not really the rules. It's not how it's played. But um, you know, I think that I, I'm gonna, I'm not going to criticize him for running out of the end zone. That please, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm, it didn't matter where he. It didn't matter where he got out of the end zone. Got down at the one yard line. It didn't matter. All he needed to do was catch that football, and the Super Bowl was ripped out of the hands of the Seahawks. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, but we have now that we're seeing the parties and we're seeing the video of it, we're the best video is you know what Rick Ross dancing with Rob Kraft. That's good, 
But then I heard audio of Gronk last night on Jimmy Kimmel. And Jimmy Kimmel, you know, he asked him about the, the fight that they had at the end of the game. And Gronk was very involved in that fight. But Gronk even comes out and says, yeah, I think I've slept three hours in the last two nights. Clearly uh, has been just on a nonstop party. And I don't blame him. I would be too. In fact, I'd be to the point where they probably wouldn't even let me on TV because I'd be so bad. So you got to give Gronk credit. He was able to go on TV while he's been on this bender. Uh, but he was ap- he was hilarious. Uh, he answered the question from Jimmy Kimmel about the fight, and here's what Gronk had to say last night. Tom Brady, you know, you guys are just running out the clock, which, which you do, kneeling down, and the Seahawks, some of them jumped over, and then there was a fight. And it, it, you rarely see a Super Bowl end like that where they were actually punching. You threw a couple of punches, I think. I don't think I did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think we have the, uh, the no, video. Roger. No, I do not. Now, let's see. Now, you're number 87. And there you are. Let's see. Yeah. Well, they started what? it in fairness. Oh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there, that happened. Ooh. Have you not seen that yet? Oh. <laughs> what started that fight? Roger, that wasn't me. <laughs> Don't find me. <laughs> what was it that, that, that I got set bu- that I got to buy a new party bus. But let me it. ask, what happened? Is there something specific that set that off? Or did, could you hear what was going on? Uh, no, actually, uh, during that fight? Yeah. Actually, I, we just went to take a knee. And I swear, I just went in to block the guy and, like, you know, get in front of him, like, protect Tom Brady, because I don't yeah. know who's Tom Brady. I don't know. I wasn't trying to protect him right now. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's our quarterback. Yeah. No big deal. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, they just start. they went hard at us, and then I got pushed or something, and I was like, screw it. Last game of the year, I'm throwing some haymakers. Gronk's <laughs> <laughs> throwing haymakers. He, I think he threw one. It's a one good one. I mean, you're not going to throw a punch. They're usually, the arm's moving like it's a punch, but it's really the, your palm, you hit your palm on a guy's helmet, right? You try to smack him in the face. Uh, but whatever. You know what? Is there a fine coming Gronk's way after that comment? <laughs> probably, right? I mean, it's, the, it's probably. It's like everyone gets fined. Everyone's getting fined in the NFL. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, I, that was funny. Uh, the Patriots are still partying. Parades will move to tomorrow. So, I'm here five days a week uh, as we wrap things up. Pete, you got, you got a story? You said you got a story for, for us here at the end to close things out? Well, as we all know, it was Groundhog Day yesterday. Yes, oh, that's right. So, that's right. Uh, Punxsutawney Phil came out. Yes, yes. A, a shadow I see. I see. You can start the Twitter. Hashtag six, six more weeks, weeks of winter. Are you kidding me? Are booed. you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, I would get you. I would be booing too if the, he starts it by promoting his Twitter. Come on, nobody, nobody gives a shit about your Twitter and your hashtags. We want to know. So what do we got? What six more weeks of winner? But we also had, oh great, we had, we had another awesome an imposter, Jimmy the Groundhog. Jimmy the Groundhog. I think this was in Wisconsin. All right, that doesn't. Suge- uh, he says uh, that uh, that he uh, didn't see a shadow. And um, so it, um, thank you. Um, it'll be an early. Jimmy the Groundhog was so mad that he bit the face of the guy announcing. Bit, is there video of that? <laughs> yes. He bit the face. Well, you, is there audio of it? That was the audio. You can so hear him pause in the beginning. So he, he gets, gets bit in the face he and he doesn't do anything? Up. No, he doesn't. Is do he bleeding? Anything. I think he's bleeding from the air. Groundhog bites him in the face. First of all, I w- you'd never get me to hold that thing anyways. Um, second of all, I can't take that one seriously. It's been a tradition, right, with Punxsutawney Phil. Do we really believe that that stuff's the case? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't get too wrapped up into it. I think it's humorous that he, sh- he gave his Twitter account. So clearly there's an agenda there where they're doing self-promotion on top of it. I, I always thought, you know, that Groundhog Day little ceremony was – was something that they never really would sell out. That's, he sold out. They sold out there. They stopped promoting social media? Wow. And now you got, you got them doing it in Wisconsin? They don't do this anywhere else, do they? They only do it in one place. So one groundhog saw his shadow, one groundhog didn't. To be honest with you, whether the groundhog sees his shadow or not is not going to shovel the snow that we have outside of the windows here in Boston right now at the Beantown Athletic Studio. So it's somewhat meaningless to me, but... it. People do like to know that. 
And I guess we know the hashtag now. We know the hashtag that they wanted to start as well. Uh, my final thoughts here in Boston, not to keep this all Boston-based, you know, I think that a big part of the hockey culture here in Boston, and not even just here in look, this is a Boston tournament, but I mean, you know, this is a, this is a big deal. I mean, you got college hockey players who come into Boston from all over the country, from all over the place. So this is a big deal to a lot of people, maybe even outside of Boston. Bean Pot is tonight. It's the Bean Pot College Hockey Tournament at the TD Garden. It was supposed to be last night, the semifinals, but because of the snow, it got postponed. Semifinals of the Bean Pot are tonight. BC versus Northeastern, BU versus Harvard, and then the finals will be next Monday night, unless we have some more snow coming in. But that's pretty much it. Maybe I'll be there. Who knows? If I am, we'll break it. We'll talk a little bit about it tomorrow. Uh, you know there's some NFL stuff that's going to come out today. Uh, and we're getting one day closer to spring training. Pretty soon they're going to do something with spring training begins the first week of, fe- you know, right after the Super Bowl. You know they're going to do that. It's getting closer and closer every year. They sort of move it up a year, I feel like, every every season. Truck day for the Red Sox is a week from Thursday. I just got an email. Look, I'm a baseball guy. I'm still trying to embrace this Super Bowl championship. So that's what we'll be doing here the next week, next couple of weeks. Bring in some more football guests. Download the show at dannypicard.com. Follow me on Twitter. Make sure you check out the poll a day and vote. And uh, hopefully on iTunes soon. Special thanks to Pete Needham, my producer. Special thanks to Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.